0: Today on episode 11 of the eWAR podcast, Sebastian Wengrin on founding a tech company without a CTO. Hello and welcome to this episode of the eWAR podcast. I am Leon Burma and this is the space where founders get to share their stories of how they got an idea and turned it into a profitable business. Today's guest is Sebastian Weingren. Sebastian is a founder and managing director of Contract Hero. Contract Hero is one of the most intuitive and innovative providers of cloud based contract management software for SMEs. Contract Hero provides automated and centralized contract management and allows machine learning powered contract analytics, dedicated rights management, and e signing. Contract Hero has quite an unusual founding story. Although being a technology startup, Sebastian and his co-founder Gary Koch founded Contract Hero in early 2001 and raised $1.4 million in pre-seed founding in October 21 without a CTO. Sebastian is joining us today to talk about his unusual founding journey to show that successful startups do not always have to follow the same well-beaten path. Sebastian, it's great to have you today. Thanks for joining on our podcast.
1: Hi, Lian. Thanks a lot for having me.
0: Great, you have quite an interesting uh, founding story, um, and so I wanted to just start at the beginning. How did you come up with the idea for Contract hero?
1: Yes, um so before founding Contract hero, um we I was already working in the in the startup scene, but rather grown up startups and scale ups, my co-founder as well, and I was in a in a commercial area, so I was usually drafting, negotiating, signing contracts, and then was in charge of also managing those partnerships, managing um, those customers and those those accounts, so to say, and over time it was more and more difficult to keep track of everything that we agreed on in those contracts, in those NDAs, in those different agreements we had with them, and it was it was just not maintainable. So what would happen is that we would skip a deadline, that we would get into even into into controversies with our with our customers or with those accounts because we weren't really sure what we have agreed on, and we were not really really happy with that solution and the way we used to manage our contracts. It's rather collecting our contracts, if you're honest, is um, is a SharePoint or Google Drive solution. So what we would just do once the contract is signed, just throw it in the in the G Drive folder, uh, give it a name, some versioning and then just yeah be confident and hope that i find the right information when i need it and um, yeah this is this is okay in the beginning when you have a couple of contracts a couple of customers but um, over time uh, with also different types of contract categories like shareholder agreements loan agreements um, with uh, service providers uh, software subscriptions etc this can end up being hundreds and hundreds even thousands of different contracts and it's Im- absolutely impossible to keep track of all these informations uh, manually so we we said we need a lean and really easily maintainable solution for that so yeah we were we were searching for for something we were searching for solutions with contract management and and uh, we were entering that space for the first time but then found out quite quickly that there's not really that easy to use intuitive solution that we as a or as I say, small or or mid-sized team could use easily and implement without any problems, right? There were a lot of really extensive, big enterprise solutions out there, also really expensive solutions. And what we wanted was just like this really, you know, like you also know from, from, uh, for example, project management Asana or a Notion, really intuitive, self-explaining solution, that teams can use to proactively manage their contracts and to optimize their agreements with all the different stakeholders. That was the goal. And since we didn't find it in the market, we said, okay, how would this actually need to look like so that we become customers? And that's, that's how we came up with the idea for what later became Contract Hero.
0: Sounds like you really experienced the problem and from that pain point came up with the own with your idea.
1: Exactly, exactly. Uh, Yeah, contract management is not a space that a couple of years ago, I thought I would be so excited about from, right? It was rather that we discovered a problem. And the more we looked into the problem, the, the more we noticed how big this actually is. So in the examples I gave you talking about customer contracts, right? Because that's what my position was in the commercial area. But my co-founder, for example, he was the head of finance and head of legal and also a fast growing startup. And he has a different and always had a different perspective on contract management. So he was rather focused on how can he uh, mitigate risk as a head of finance and to mitigate risk and to actually create transparency around the different contracts and agreements that you have with your different stakeholders. You need first to create transparency. You need to be able to see at a glance What is important, uh, what you have agreed on, and um, manage this manually was quite impossible. So um we both were convinced that um we need a better f- uh, the market deserves a better solution for this
0: that that sounds very interesting but it sounds like you had a background in uh, sales and your co-founder Gary in uh, finance and legal and i don't hear a technical background in there even though the solution you're describing is quite uh, technical did you guys go looking for a technical co-founder
1: yes that's a, a topic that we talked and discussed a lot about in the beginning um so initially like like you said none of us had the real technical background and of course when you enter the software market building software solution that must be extremely performant extremely intuitive for hundreds and hundreds of of customers um and at the same point it also must be be, uh, legally compliant and secure right because we manage the contracts um we knew that uh, sooner or later we would need uh, also high performing uh, cto uh, experienced cto and we didn't have that in the beginning and also when you listen to other podcasts or when you read um, different topics on, on 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 startups and and entrepreneurship you hear a lot that that's one of the first yeah milestones you have to achieve you need to you need the the right founding team for that and we said okay well at the moment we, we just don't have this profile we just don't have this person who fits our team. And we are still not, I mean, we are, we are ourselves convinced that the market needs this and that other companies will value this as much as we do. Uh, we, we gained that first insight from from expert talks and interviews that we that we were holding but we just didn't have the right profile to fit our team at that moment so we said okay are we gonna wait until we have that cto or are we gonna start now and then just parallelly keep keep looking for the right for the right fit and yeah we said okay let's not wait for the right cto until we start with our business and see how far we can get without the cto and you know in hindsight i would i would say it was right decision to to uh, to do it that way but of course like you said already it, it was a topic that we that we touched very early and we had a discussion about how we would go about it and our strategy was start fast yeah, learn fast and then uh, see how far you can get and then be if, if it's successful we will find the right person
0: that's that's very interesting and you're talking about uh, the right cto And you couldn't find the right one. What would the right look for you, or what were the people that you did find? Like, what was the gap?
1: When it comes to the CTO, you must be—that's uh, at least how how we think about it. You must be extremely picky, even pickier than with with other positions, because it's so so vital for the company's success, directly for the whole culture of the company that you're building, right? Because at the moment it was just Gary and I, so we didn't have any in our direct contacts who who was up for the task. I mean, we had some profiles in mind. who we said, okay. This would be amazing, but they are all, they all have their jobs. They're all busy. And we are probably not in the, in the position to convince them just yet, because at the moment it was, it was just an idea, right? Also to answer your question, we didn't put much effort into searching for someone at that time, because we said our resources are extremely limited. How do we invest our time in, in what topics? And we said, okay, let's pause this for now and revisit this task. Once we have achieved a set of other Stones, which was rather focused on building the first MVP, gaining first traction, all the formal to dos that you have uh, that you have to do when you found a business in Germany. Um, so we said, okay, let's pause the search for a CTO for now, focus on the other topics, and then we're gonna revisit in a couple of months.
0: And so you and Gary set out built to build an MVP without a technical co-founder.
1: Exactly, exactly. And, and luckily, that's, um, we, we found really good ways to do that. The first step, like the first ideas, we just wrote them down in a spreadsheet of what do we actually want and what problem or problems do we want to solve? And also, what problems do we want to solve for whom? right? Because you cannot please everyone. You just, you need to kind of find your, your audience, find your, your target group. And in that first, very first step, we then defined uh, questions to find out more in detail of what the actual problems are and how a potential solution could look like. We said, okay, we have our own Strong opinion of how it should look like, but we want to also involve more expert uh, knowledge. And therefore, in the first step, we uh, talked to a selection of, it was around about 20, 25 experts. Head of finance, head of uh, legal counsels, other startup founders, but also business owners from the typical Mittelstand in Germany, uh, SME owners. We gathered those contacts and uh, we contacted them to, to schedule interviews and to answer those questions from their, from their perspective. And then we got a much clearer picture of what hypotheses of ours are probably right and what are hypothesis we are probably wrong or what not not even wrong, but that are not as relevant for others as they might seemed to us in the beginning from that point we then said okay we want to build software here this is to manage to easily manage your contracts and to give you a great overview so we are talking about an extremely visual product but until then we only had those ideas in in text like we just wrote them down and we had some images in our minds but we said we need to bring this to paper we need to visualize those ideas So in the very first ideation phase so to say uh, what we did is yeah, more or less what we knew, uh, just PowerPoint, right? So slide for slide, I was creating those those mockups, really low-fidelity mock-ups in, in PowerPoint just to see of how it would look like and what happens when I click on this button, what happens when I zoom in on that overview, what happens when I receive an automatic reminder for a contract, when I invite a, a different uh, colleague and so on. Yeah this this had some iterations probably took us for yeah a week or so and with that we then talked to a, a really good UX designer like on a freelance basis we knew who took this draft we made in PowerPoint and made it in a much nicer much more presentable version in Figma and this took probably another 3 to 4 days just to get this first Click dummy ready, this first click dummy where you can already see what happens when you click on a, on a certain, on a certain button or link. Once we had that ready, we did the second iteration with our experts, the experts we interviewed in the first place to find out whether this could be helpful for them. We did a second call with them and presented them our click dummy. So we sent them the link and said, you can here log into your contract, hero account. You just click through the software and you try to think loudly. Just tell me what you think of everything. Tell me what you expect when you click on a link before you click on it. And we were just like taking notes all the time. So we, we, we for one interview, which was around 30 to 40 minutes, we took notes of uh, seven to eight pages, what's crazy. Once we did that, we then also got a much more detailed uh, idea of what others think of our first draft. Again, we we could see what is really important to people, what is not important to people, what we can leave away. And this was then the high-fidelity draft for our MVP that we wanted to build. So now we had it visually presentable, but it was not functional. And we knew that the next milestone would be to build a functional, like an MVP we have to, for the first time, really program something. Therefore, we were then searching for, for another contact that, that we knew previously, also on a freelance basis, who on the side does several projects out of curiosity, out of interest, and he's focused on MVP development. So he really like, likes to go from zero to one, so to say. Give give him some ideas and he will transform it into a first product. And um, yeah, we did that. This took probably overall probably three to four weeks. It was uh, Christmas time, I remember. In that phase, then what we did is translate the Figma mock-up into an actual product. We also used some templates there. So there's also some low-code and no-code building blocks in PHP. Um, it was, the next was Laravel, uh, Laravel uh, Spark. And with that, we could probably skip weeks or months in development time. So, so this was the, the right way to, to kind of get a product out. And this was always our, our number one priority. We wanted to get a product out really fast, as fast as possible, because one day with a product live will give us so much more feedback, will give us so much more learnings and insights than one month planning ahead. So we, we needed to to go live. That was super important to us uh, from the beginning. The first version was, of course, like, but that's the definition of an MVP, extremely limited, very hacky, almost at the point where, where one could think this is embarrassing, but then we already gathered some feedback. Th- this is kind of, kind of the steps how we went about those first steps when we said, okay, how how can we go about delivering a first product version without having the experienced CTO who would, of course, think it much more professionally, think it much more scalable, much bigger than, than we could at that time.
0: Great. So you guys went out with an MVP that was built without a CTO. And I haven't heard you talk about fundraising that. Did you do that before you got the MVP or was that way later?
1: Yeah, so that was also one of the topics where we said, same as with finding a CTO, let's pause this until we have validated or found answers to our hypothesis. First of all, we were convinced we identified the problem. We were convinced that the problem is big enough. Um, it's actually huge. Then we were convinced of our strategy to solve this problem, of our approach. And then the next step was, of course, to, to validate this. Fundraising was, for us, it was clear that sooner or later we would want to, to go into fundraising, just a, another boost, let's say. And we, we knew that when we want to tackle this market, it's a huge market. We want to um, grow aggressively and also have the best possible team. And to do that, you you need need resources, right? So in the beginning, we started, same as with the product, extremely lean. It was just Gary and I, we were working with the the freelancers we knew. So first of all, the the UX designer, then later on, the the developer um, on a freelance basis. We got the product out and then we started gaining first traction, winning the first, um, winning the first logos, the first customers, which already brought in the first revenues. Right? This was actually in the same month that we went live uh, for the first time. We already gained the, the first customer. And we could grow that progressively. We wanted to reach a certain threshold of MRR. We set ourselves couple, I don't remember exactly, but a couple of thousand MRR uh, in, in MRR that we wanted to reach. Was that? Uh, four or five thousand to be able to validate that that problem is big enough, but also it hurts enough for people to pay for it. So this was also very important because we we were never big fans of freemium versions. We we are very convinced that good software that solves a real problem must cost money um, and has a value. Um, and so we said, yeah, let's don't talk about fundraising for now. Let's invest our own money, really limited resources, which also forces. To stay lean, to stay smart, and revisit the fundraising topic once we have reached that threshold in in MRR in one customers. And that's what we did. So for the first for the first four months or so, we were just focusing on on winning new customers and on reinvesting that money we, we won from the first customers to fix some things in that first version of the software and to improve it a little. Then we went into fundraising, but already with a with some traction to be able to show. So it was already kind of post-revenue. We never did fundraising pre-revenue, which is when you go into a pre-seed fundraising, you already stand out, right? Because most of pre-seed um, uh, companies that, that go into fundraising have no revenue and many of them don't even have a, a product life. So we we stood out with that already and we also... I thought it would be a good idea to stand out in this aspect because coming back to our initial topic, when it comes to the founding team, we didn't have that CTO, which we knew that this would be, would be a topic when it comes to fundraising for software as a service company, right?
0: Yeah, indeed. So you had like two really great plus points compared to other companies, like you had revenue and a live product, but you didn't have the dream founder team, uh, at least in like the classical terms. How did, exactly. how did investors respond to that? Like what were their questions?
1: One probably that was one of the of the topics that would come up sooner or later, rather sooner, is of course like you you have those customers, you have that product. How did you build it? Who built it? One of you guys? So how does it work? Who who of you is a techie? <laughs> and yeah, many thought in the first place that Gary would be rather the techie, but uh, that's not how we how how we are are focusing our work. I'm I'm more in the in the commercial. At, also at Contract Hero, I'm taking over more the co- co- uh, commercial roles like marketing, sales, growth, and general and gary's taking over more the operations also the product right the product ideation of what direction it should go towards and but not the development aspect per se but so but in the first place many thought that gary is the dev uh, is a developer in the team some took it as something positive they said okay that's impressive how you guys did that with so little resources Already making, I don't know, 30K AR or something. Really impressive. Um, let's let's deep dive on this. I want to know what you what your you know, and that, that was really good for us. But then there were also other uh, VCs that took this as a no-go criteria. They just said, look, we have a certain checklist to follow, a certain template of companies that we invest in. And we invest in founding teams that have a, a technical background, at least one, right? Which I can also understand um, because f- sooner or later you you need it, and ideally you ha- you have it sooner. So so yeah, the the feedback was mixed, but you can you can be assured that it was always a topic. Just for some it was positive, for others it
0: wasn't. Yeah, that makes sense. Some have really strict uh, criteria or checklist that they follow, and so you were able to uh, secure funding without a CTO what did you what did you learn from that like what kind of businesses what kind of startups can found without a technical co-founder and when would you definitely recommend getting a technical co-founder pretty soon
1: yeah I think ideally if you have the right team and if you have the right contact and you can convince the right person beforehand then of course do it but in our case it just wasn't like that so we we didn't want to lose any time that's why we said just Let's go for it. Don't don't waste any time. This is the right moment. It was in the middle of the, the the first lockdown, and we said, we have to go for this now. We have a lot of backwind. Yeah, you know, here at the right uh, time. But in general, it. I'm I'm not sure if if it's a, if I'm able to generalize when you need a, a CTO from the beginning and when not. Probably from top of my mind I would say that probably a deep tech solution would require a, a CTO from the very beginning. More generally speaking, it depends a lot on what your what the hi- hypotheses are that you want to test and what do you need Test them if you are unsure whether there's a market for the software or or service that you want to provide. I think it's not necessary for that step to validate those uh, hypotheses to have the perfect founding team, including the CTO, because you can there already work with an maybe not even an MVP, but just with a landing page where you push traffic on and see how the reaction, see how the conversion rates. See how the sign-up rates are, and and uh, create I don't know a, a early sign-up list or something like that, just to see whether it sparks interest, just to see whether there are people who are interested in the in the problem that you are trying to solve or in the service that you are trying to provide. If it's a um, if it's a deep tech topic where you need already in the MVP to deliver and go live with a very technical product that you cannot build within a couple of months with a freelancer, I think then you there's no way around um, having that, um, that CTO from the very beginning. But I'm I really hesitant to generalize here because most likely many would have thought in the case of Contract Hero that this would be a topic where you need a technical co-founder from the beginning. We could show that it's not necessarily 100%. It would be, of course, helpful, right? But there's also other ways that you can take. It's not always black or
0: white. But I do like your answer of what is the question you're trying to answer? What is the hypothesis you want to test? And based on that, do I need one? Yes or no? I think yeah. that's, that can be very helpful for founders to reflect on. And have you since found a technical co-founder? Because you founded Contract Hero in 2021. Um, it's now 2023. What has changed?
1: Oh, yeah, well, quite a bit. <laughs> um so, yes, actually, so there were those two big topics or two big milestones in the beginning of Contractio, which we said, let's pause this for now and revisit later, which is uh, number one, uh, find CTO, and number two, fundraising. So we actually did revisit those two topics. So in um, in October, October 2021, yeah, it was around about a year ago, a bit more, um, we could uh, close our, our pre-seed round uh with uh, two german vcs this was kind of first check mark we said okay great we also have this uh, external validation here again with that resources that we closed there of course we then revisited step number one which is find a cto and we were um yeah i think we hit the checkpoint there because we didn't I mean, we also did go about the classical ways of um, prospecting potential CTOs that we didn't know, but from our uh, previous contacts, it was a former coworker of of uh, Gary's. And we talked to him and could convince him, Toby, to to join us, and he he knew of Contract Hero beforehand because we were also asking him for advice in our very first. MVP that we did with in collaboration with the freelancer to check and review the code. He was already informed of what we are up to. Uh, it was just not the right moment. But then we um, uh, secured the founding. We had this external validation. We were on to uh, growing. And then we talked again with him and then took us still a, a, a couple of weeks more. But then we um, we could convince him and, and he joined just days later and uh, this wasn't the perfect match and yeah the, for, for us it was the right order to do it, to do it that way but of course it's not something that we could have planned beforehand that way it was just the only way it would work out because we were just so impatient and eager to start with that idea because we were so convinced we wanted to start right now and not wait until we have the perfect profile for our potential uh, CTO and co-founder we just wanted to start so for us, it was the only way to go. Yeah, but, but hard to plan ahead like this. Yeah. yeah. And also to, 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 to answer your question, what, what else has happened uh, since then? That first MVP we built back then, it, it doesn't exist anymore. We, we, threw it, we basically threw it away. I mean, our CTO threw it away because he then said, okay, cool what you achieve and so on. But, you know, we, we, we think in a different dimension now. Right? It's not about winning a couple of first customers to validate our hypothesis. Now we want to become the number one player in that market. We want to be able to deal with thousands of customers at the same time and provide them with the best possible service and support and performance of the software. So, um, yeah, he decided that that the tech stack we built it in wasn't the right one to do that. So he completely threw it away, rebuilt it in a different tech stack. But it was the right solution to go for for what we wanted to achieve back then. Now it's a different story. Now it, it wouldn't work like that anymore. So it's also important to think of what do you need at which stage? But potentially in a couple of years, we will revisit again and we'll say, okay, this is not the right solution anymore. We need something else. can't say that now, but um, in a nutshell, what happened? Uh, what happened since then and uh, yeah
0: and you probably could have never built the product you have now without having that build at MP- mvp first probably learned so um, much that you needed it
1: um yes yes the learning yeah we wouldn't have built it that way for sure because we wouldn't have had the um the information for and the insights from our customers of what has to be, what, what is actually important, what is actually relevant. Um, so I think we saved a lot of troubles, a lot of time and a lot of uh, resources as well um, in not trying to wait with the go live and build the perfect product like we, how we see it, but just go live with really an MVP, see how our customers react, see what they like, see what they don't like, and then iterate from there.
0: That makes sense. And before we actually end this podcast, I wanted to ask you if there's one thing that you hope our listeners take away from this interview, what would that be?
1: Yes, good question. I hope that people don't get discouraged by thinking that they don't have the the perfect setup to, to start a company, right? Because there's so many best practices and tips and must-haves and no-goes and rules of what you need and what you have to be and what you don't have to do when you start a company. And it's, it's good guidelines, but it can also be discouraging if you take it too serious, if you take it too literally. So I hope that that my story can also be a kind of a motivation for those who think, who are kind of have a great idea, think that they are up to something big, have identified a big problem that they want to solve, but feel that they don't have the perfect setup now or that maybe now the market is not the perfect time to go to go live with a new product or to start a company, I would like to, to motivate them to still go for it and think independently, without all those rules, of what are the defining factors of success for them, of what they want to achieve and of what hypothesis they want to validate and and take it from there. If If you take all those rules and and look at all those best practices can be really overwhelming um and it's much easier if you break down this huge topic and just go step by step
0: i love that it sounds more like the art of founding rather than the science of founding a company
1: uh yeah but still still always try to focus on on some hard numbers first and number one hard number was always mr like if You have MRR. If you grow in MRR, it means that there's people out there who are willing to pay for your solution, which answers a lot of other questions as well, like um, if you're going in the right direction, right? So not too artsy, right? But also not too too literally following a set of rules.
0: A good mix between art and science.
1: Exactly. I
0: love that. Well, thank you, Sebastian, so much for appearing on our podcast. I learned a lot and I hope our listeners did too.
1: Thank you, Leanne. Thanks a lot for inviting me.
0: This was Leon Burma interviewing Sebastian Weingren about the founding story for Contract Hero. I hope you learned as much as I did today, and I'm looking forward to welcoming you in episode 12. Thank you for listening.